Africa rise and shine Africa tosa Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hogo and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, UN urges governments to step up efforts to control the spread of coronavirus, and India's Prime Minister orders nationwide curfew to combat the virus. In economics news, South Africa introduces laws to curb stockpiling and price hikes. And in sports news, Tokyo Olympics could be delayed due to coronavirus. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. South Africa's Health Minister Zulim Kize says everybody's at risk of contracting the coronavirus. Engaged with members of the South African Medical Association last night. This is as the number of confirmed coronavirus infections increased to 150 in the country. Members of SAMA have vowed to work together with the health department to fight the spread of the virus. Meanwhile, the South African National Editors Forum, CINEF, says although it welcomes the government's new regulation, criminalizing disinformation as one of the measures to curb fake news regarding the coronavirus, it does not support the banning of journalists from speaking to medical experts. CINEF Executive Director Kate Skinner says they understand the need for the South African government to centralize information, but they do not believe that there should be restrictions. We totally understand the government wants to centralize information around statistics. We think that's very important. But what we think is problematic is that journalists can't speak to a whole lot of other experts around the coronavirus. We think that journalists should be able to speak to a series of different experts. Obviously, they do need to be credible. They need to come from credible institutions. That's absolutely important. We do need journalists to be able to speak to a range of different people. Senegal is to close its airspace from midnight until the 17th of April. No flights will operate to and from the country's airport in the capital, Dakar. But domestic flights between Dakar and Zingocho will still go ahead, as well as cargo flights, medical evacuation and specifically authorized flights. 36 people have tested positive for coronavirus in Senegal. Two of those people have since been declared virus-free after treatment, while the other 34 remain in hospital. Italy has surpassed China as the country with the highest number of deaths from the coronavirus pandemic. The Italian total has climbed above 3,400. The BBC's Mark Lowen reports. This country of 60 million people has now seen more deaths from coronavirus than China, with a population of 1.5 billion. In Brescia, with the fastest growing number of cases in the worst hit region of Lombardy, the hospital director, Alessandro Triboldi, says they're overwhelmed. I think our hospital is reaching breaking point. We need workers. We need equipment to protect our staff. 
we need ventilators. The spread of the virus is too fast for us to keep up. Italy's nationwide restrictions are now likely to be extended, with the closure of almost all venues and schools pushed well into April. And finally, India has executed four men for a notorious gang rape and murder on a bus in the capital, Delhi, in 2012. The attack led to an outpouring of anger from many women about widespread sexual harassment and violence and prompted the government to title to tighten India's rape laws. The BBC's Rajini Vayadnathan reports. Minutes after the men were executed, the victim's mother said she'd hugged her daughter's photo, telling her, we finally got justice. Her child, a student in her early 20s, was brutally gang-raped and murdered on a December evening in 2012 as she took a bus home from the cinema. Six men were accused of the crime. One was found dead in jail, thought to have taken his own life. The other, a juvenile, was released in 2015. The remaining four were hanged in the early hours of this morning, the first executions in India in five years. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it, don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think they should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Italy overtook China as the country with the highest recorded death toll from the coronavirus on Thursday, with the pandemic gathering space, uh, gathering pace in Spain and France as European governments struggled to keep up their responses to tackle the spread of the disease. The number of Italian fatalities has reached 3,405. Hospitals are overwhelmed and the country has been under a nationwide lockdown since earlier this month in a bid to halt the spread. The BBC's Janet Jalil reports from London. Italy and France are set to extend their coronavirus shutdowns. 
China has recorded no new homegrown cases of the coronavirus. The 34 new infections in China were all among people coming into the country from abroad. Here's Stephen McDonnell. To go from more than 80,000 infected people here to a 24-hour period where, according to official figures, there's been not one extra homegrown case in all of the country. If those figures are to be believed, it's an incredible turnaround. Even if the trend is true, it's an incredible turnaround. And in Wuhan City, where this global emergency first started, the government has announced that people will be able to go outdoors now. Italy's government has said the nationwide lockdown imposed to contain the spread of the coronavirus will be extended beyond the end of next week when it was due to expire. Nearly 3,000 people have died there, almost as many as in China where the outbreak began in December. On Wednesday, Italy reported 475 more deaths, the highest figure in a single day from any country. Stefano Faguli is a doctor working in Bergamo in northern Italy. He's issued this plea for help. We are in full emergency with this coronavirus pandemia. Our health personnel, nurses and physicians are working round the clock countless hours to fight this incredible situation. We do not know how long this pandemia will last. Here's our correspondent in Rome, Sima Katecha. Thousands of people have been fined for not abiding by the rules and in the north where there's the highest number of coronavirus cases, officials are warning that hospitals are close to turning people away from treatment because they're struggling to cope with the high number of patients. In Bergamo, the military has been brought in to move dozens of coffins from the city to other regions as crematoriums are overwhelmed with the number of dead. Health officials in Iran say the coronavirus is now killing one person every 10 minutes. Another 149 people have died in the past day. In Jordan, the army's begun imposing restrictions on access to the capital Amman in a bid to control the spread of the virus. Egypt has ordered the closure of all cafes, shopping malls and nightclubs from dusk till dawn. Brazilians have been expressing their anger at the president, Jair Bolsonaro's handling of the coronavirus pandemic by taking part in protests from their balconies, banging pots and pans together and chanting, Bolsonaro out. So far, Brazil has had around 500 cases. Gabriel Stargarter is a Reuters journalist in Rio de Janeiro. They're angry because they think that Bolsonaro has minimised, made light, disparaged the severity of this crisis. And now that the death toll is rising and the, and the number of cases are really shooting up, there are real concerns that Brazil, which has had a bit of rotten luck over the last few years in terms of its economy, there is a sort of educational project going on in terms of trying to tell people how dangerous this is. Donald Trump has signed an emergency economic relief bill that would provide free testing for COVID-19 and paid leave for certain workers in the United States. The presidential approval came after the US Senate voted overwhelmingly in favour of the measure worth about $100 billion. Australia and New Zealand are closing their borders to all foreigners to try to stop the spread of the coronavirus. More details from Michael Bristow. The ban will come into force in Australia on Friday evening. New Zealand's border closure, the first in its history, has already come into effect. The announcements about the issue came almost simultaneously after talks between the two governments. In both countries, returning residents will be allowed in, 
or will have to go into quarantine for 14 days. Levels of air pollutants and gases over some cities and regions are showing significant drops as people travel much less and work from home. Researchers in New York say carbon monoxide levels, mainly from cars, have almost halved and emissions of carbon dioxide have also fallen sharply. Professor Roisin Kamein from Columbia University was involved in the study. Last weekend was the cleanest I have ever seen the air around New York. Now, some of that is driven by meteorology. So the weather, how still the air is, has a big effect. But it's still the cleanest we have ever seen the city. The Olympic flame has been formally handed over to Japan for a summer games that Tokyo says will go ahead despite the coronavirus pandemic. There are calls for the games to be called off. Matthew Pinsent is a four-time Olympic gold medalist. On a global front, we have other priorities. And I think the Olympics should at the very least be saying we should postpone or indeed we should just cancel at this stage and we'll talk about postponement later on. And that's the coronavirus global update. I'm Andrew Peach. Till next time, goodbye. The United Nations Secretary-General has urged developed countries, particularly the G20, to step in and assist more vulnerable nations, stop the likely spread of the coronavirus in their territories, particularly in Africa. He was speaking during a virtual press conference from UN headquarters in New York. Antonio Guterres warned that the world is facing a global health crisis unlike any in the 75-year history of the organization, infecting the global economy and upending people's lives. Sean Brasspies reports that he warned of a global recession being a near certainty and called for help to the developing world to avoid millions dying. As nations around the world struggle to come to terms with a new paradigm brought on by COVID-19, a sobering message from the UN chief, adding to all the sobering words already spoken by officials here and everywhere. Our teams uh, in Africa are working very hard with the governments to support them. But my very strong appeal to the G20 is to have a particular concern with African countries and other countries in the developing world. We must absolutely be strong in supporting them because the virus will come, is coming to them, and their health systems are extremely weak. So they need a very strong support from the developed world. And if that support is denied, we could have catastrophic consequences. If uh, the virus is not contained because countries have not the capacity to contain it, it can spread like wildfire, as I mentioned. And we could have, even with low rates of mortality, we could have millions of people dying. And this is absolutely unacceptable. The Secretary General believes the current responses at country level will not address the global scale and complexity of the crisis, quoting the International Labour Organization that workers around the world could lose as much as $3.4 trillion in income by the end of the year. This is a moment that demands coordinated, decisive and innovative policy action from the world's leading economies. We must recognize that the poorest and most vulnerable especially women, will be the hardest hit. Guterres welcomed the convening of an emergency G20 summit next week, striking a tone of optimism that, done right, they could steer the recovery towards a more sustainable and inclusive path, arguing that two priorities were key. First, tackling the health emergency by upscaling health spending for testing, facilities and protecting healthcare workers and then focusing on the social impact and economic response and recovery. Most fundamentally, we need to focus on people, low-wage workers, small and medium enterprises, the most vulnerable. 
And that means wage support, insurance, social protection, preventing bankruptcies and job loss. And that also means designing fiscal and monetary responses to ensure that the burden does not fall on those who can least afford it. The recovery must not come on the backs of the poorest and we cannot create a legion of new poor. Urging nations to ensure that lessons are learned from the current crisis, which provides a watershed moment for health emergency preparedness and for investment in critical 21st century public services and the effective delivery of global public goods. More than ever before, we need solidarity, hope and the political will to see this crisis through together. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pees in New York. India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi on Thursday appealed to the 1.3 billion population to follow one-day curfew alongside a ban on international flight arrivals to combat the coronavirus pandemic. The Indian government says there have been 175 infections and four deaths from the virus. But the public is increasingly anxious and there has been a rush on food stores and essential supplies. Rana Sen has more from New Delhi. Narendra Modi's public address was his first since India reacted to the outbreak on January 17th and VK Paul of the Prime Minister's policy-making Niti Aayog body termed the curfew more than symbolic. The country has moved to a very different and a higher level of preparedness. It is a, a move toward a much more comprehensive response responding to the way the, uh, the global pandemic has been shaping up in other countries and drawing lessons from there. So first is that we are now in, in a different stage of our determination and different stage of our action. Pan-India curfews could become a regular feature, said Shikant Reddy of the Public Health Foundation of India as the government said all incoming international flights will be banned from this week. The principal element is asking for people's solidarity in this whole effort and it is only for a one day to begin with but possibly if the outbreak or epidemic escalates it might become a more routine feature. I thought it was very Interesting that he brought in the whole area of blackouts during the war period. You have to have routine practice drills so that when the emergency arises, you are ready for it on a long period. Maybe this is a practice drill, but certainly it's helpful to bring about that uh, element of community solidarity. But government critics such as Rajiv Desai said they had hoped Modi will give a rundown on testings, which is seen as half-hearted so far here. I actually don't quite understand what the curfew and the 5 p.m. demonstration on Sunday is going to achieve vis-a-vis the coronavirus. That's number one, the battle against it. I would have liked to have heard something about the government's plans for testing. I would have liked to have heard something about the government's plan for data gathering. And WHO Southeast Asia Chief Poonam Khitrapal Singh echoed the worries. Today they need to expand their laboratory network also, which I'm told they are doing. And from 52 labs, they are taking this up to 70 labs. They are also including other government sector labs, which they were not doing till now. They are also going to involve the private sector. So I do believe that an expansion in the capacity to test is also important. Who you test is also important. Modi also called on all Indians to ring bells or bang utensils at 5 p.m. on Sunday. He ordered cities to sound sirens in a gesture of national gratitude for all emergency workers trying to fight the global enemy together. For Newsbreak, 
This is Zana Sen reporting from New Delhi. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African Perspective. South Africa's government says it aims to establish quarantine zones in every region of the country. The Department of Public Works, together with relevant municipalities, have the task of identifying areas where people infected with the COVID-19 virus will be treated. This was announced during a briefing of several cabinet ministers aimed at clarifying the regulations gazetted to give effect to the national state of disaster declared by President Cyril Ramaphosa on Sunday. The regulations issued by the Department of Cooperative and Traditional Affairs encompass regulations relating to social gatherings, uncompetitive consumer behavior, places of quarantine, emergency procurement procedures, as well as the roles of various departments. Busichimombe reports. Following President Cyril Ramaphosa's declaration of a national state of disaster this week, ministers forming part of the National Command Council on the COVID-19 pandemic outlined regulations issued in terms of the Disaster Management Act. The regulations, effective from Thursday, give effect to efforts by various government departments working together to curb the spread of the disease. Cooperative Governance Minister Kwasazana Tlamini Zuma says the Department of Public Works and relevant local authorities will make available sites where people can isolate and quarantine themselves should the need arise. Quarantine means you mustn't have direct contact with other people. Now, if you are not able to do that at home, clearly government will have an obligation to provide those quarantine. There are already some places that we are identifying and preferably every district must have a place uh, where people can be quarantined. So. This is work in progress, and as the need arises to quarantine people, those uh, places that have been identified will obviously be announced. The private sector will play its part in the treatment of the pandemic. Minister of Economic Affairs, Ibrahim Patel, says certain exemptions with regards to competition legislation has allowed guidelines to be drawn up, which facilitate collaboration between the private and public sectors. And this will include sharing of beds, sharing of facilities, medical supplies, nurses, doctors, and so on. This has been done under the new provision of Section 1010 of the Competition Act, approved by Parliament in 2018 and signed into law last year. 
It will include uh, hospitals and healthcare facilities, medical suppliers, medical specialists and radiologists, pathologists and laboratories, pharmacies and healthcare funders. For his part, Police Minister Becky Kele has reiterated that gatherings of more than 100 people will not be allowed. Kele added that information that those wishing to have larger gatherings can approach their local police stations for permission is false. You don't go to police station, you go straight to funeral and you go with 100 people. You don't go to police station, you go to wedding, you go with 100 people. This law will never be watered down anywhere else. Honorable President has invited the clergy and the people from the faith-based organization. Most of them, they preside over these funerals, over these weddings. I'm sure they also put the word that uh, it's, look, it's not negotiations, it's a law. Gele said a zero-tolerance approach will also be taken to ensuring that liquor is not sold or drunk outside private homes after 1,800 hours on weekdays and 1,300 hours on Sundays and public holidays. The ministers also added that further relief will be provided to communities without basic water and sanitation. It's 7.25 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. At least one business owner in the hospitality industry says new South African regulations stipulating early closure times and a limitation on the number of patrons in establishments poses new challenges for their businesses. The new regulations, published in the Government Gazette on Wednesday evening, ordered that taverns, restaurants and clubs which sell liquor on their premises close their bars early and have no more than 50 people. Neo Budumela reports. Gathering at your local Chisanyama restaurant or club for a drink until the early hours of the morning is a thing of the past, at least for now. Government's regulations to combat the spread of the coronavirus now state that establishments which sell liquor to their patrons are to close their doors at 6pm. Residents of Kimberley praise the move. I feel that it's actually fine because alcohol is not really that important, you understand. So the thing is, my question to the president is that, how are these people going to get paid? If you want booze, buy before 6 o'clock, get your stuff and go home. Then all is fine. Our health come first. All shall follow. An owner of such an establishment, McDonald Fisser, accepted that businesses like his are also governed by the regulations of the land. However, he warned that the impact will not only be on businesses themselves. That's where now we're getting our business, around around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. But uh, because of like the, the outcry and uh, because of like the coronavirus, we, we need to put measures in place. We need to make sure that at least... We, we follow the instructions of, of, of government. It's a serious worrying factor, which means that even with the staff, we have to minimize the staff. Now, you must understand that within the, the hospitality sector, in fact, 
you pay them per hour. Now that we have to decrease the number of employees within the premises, it's, it's going to hit them in their pockets as well. A waitress at a local bar, Kilubukhile Mojanaga, expressed fears that she may now not make enough money to support herself. If it closes at six, then it means that we might have to, we'll lose our working hours, so it won't be the same, salaries will not be the same. So I feel that even though we have to do it, it just impacts our lives differently after that. Northern Cape Police have vowed to enforce the new regulations, which could see those not complying facing six months imprisonment, a fine or both. I'm Neo Budumela. The peak of the coronavirus in China is over and the country is now busy assisting other countries, especially Africa, to curb the spread of the scourge. The Chinese ambassador to Zimbabwe revealed this during the launch of the quarantine hospital facelift and equipment in the capital Harare on Thursday. While Zimbabwe is yet to report any confirmed positive case, measures have been put in place to effectively deal with the virus. Simon Muchema has more from Harare. The Chinese ambassador to Zimbabwe, Guo Shochung, on Thursday ended his offices in Harare, revealed China now is out of danger regarding the COVID-19. He said the success came as a result of the discipline and the help other countries gave to the Chinese. The remarks came during the launch of the donation of the Wilkins Hospital, a quarantine center in Harare, on Thursday. The Chinese ambassador had this to say. And we are deeply grateful to all the support we have received from the world, especially our brothers in Zimbabwe. Unfortunately, the fight is far from over. As we speak, the virus is ravaging Europe and gaining ground in Africa. Zimbabwe has also had a few close calls. The Zimbabwean government has been mobilizing resources, taking science-based measures, and timely informing the public. The donation was handed over to the quarantine hospital by a group of Chinese companies operating in Zimbabwe. Already, the hospital is receiving a facelift, renovation of toilets and bathrooms, safety clothing for doctors and nurses have also been availed. The group of Chinese companies pledged to avail more testing kits and promised to finish the work within 10 days, head of the business delegation Zhou Weihong said. We try our best yeah, to, to renew the hospital. To, we wish we can, uh, yeah, by our effort, we wish we can yeah, uh, to, to offer uh, a calm down and peaceful place and for the doctors and even for the patients. Yeah, so that's what we yeah, what we, we, we are doing and what we, what we want to do. And uh, in our plan, so we wish in 10 days, yeah, we can finish all these, uh, all these jobs. Zimbabwe is yet to report any confirmed COVID-19 case, although a set of measures have already been put in place. The measures include a public gathering ban, banned weddings and sporting events for the next 60 days. Citizens from the affected nations were urged to stop visiting, while Zimbabweans were also advised to avoid making non-essential visits outside the country. Meanwhile, some churches and music artists have resorted to online performances. Popular gospel musician 
Pastor Michael Mahendere revealed. Um, I, I think it has affected to some extent, uh, but um, also there is need that we pay due diligence to the call to abstain from maybe uh, gatherings, and uh, so we have taken um, we have taken a turn to to make sure that we do this launch online uh, with just a limited people. It's 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 a press launch actually. But also there's need that we launch because the song is a song of hope. Meanwhile, Zimbabweans are wondering if indeed Zimbabwe is prepared for the COVID-19. Considering already Zambia has reported two first positive cases of people who traveled via Fly Emirates. This has resulted in the suspension of the Dubai-Lusaka Harare flight for the next two months. In Harare, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. Our headlines up next with then, Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headline, South Africa's Health Minister Zulim Kize says everybody's at risk of contracting the coronavirus. The South African National Editors Forum says although it welcomes the South African government's new regulation, criminalizing disinformation as one of the measures to curb fake news regarding the coronavirus, it does not support the banning of journalists from speaking to medical experts. And Italy has surpassed China as the country with the highest number of deaths from the coronavirus pandemic. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NETLEC to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Save the Children South Africa is calling on parents, guardians and caregivers to be extra cautious to ensure that children are protected from COVID-19. Children are particularly vulnerable because they like to touch and taste the world around them. They often do not understand health advice and tend to have weaker immune systems than adults. For more on this issue, we are now joined on the line by Steve Miller, CEO of Save the Children South Africa. Steve, good morning, and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Morning. Thanks for having me. Now, although experts say globally there have been fewer cases of COVID-19 in children than adults, 
there are concerns or, or, or an uncertainty in terms of the situation that might be for children and young people in our region. Can you just give us a reflection of what this exactly means? Thanks. Um, look, this is a, a rapidly evolving situation and nobody has eyes on, on what's going to transpire. So it's new for everybody and there's a lot of uncertainty and we don't really understand uh, this virus either. But what we do know is, is that children are particularly vulnerable to this vi- uh, virus and, and that's because, as you mentioned in your opening, uh, it's difficult for children to control their behavior the way that we are trying to do with, with isolating ourselves. Children are also um, particularly vulnerable to physical and, and, and psychological effects of this virus. So we, so we have a, a big focus on this and we're starting to talk a lot more about it. Now, talk to us uh, about some of the key practical things that should be done to protect children from the virus. Um, you know, when especially now during this period where schools are closed, um, you know, there's uh, a bit of uh, boredom. They, you know, mill around the house. You know, how how do we work around this? It's funny you say that because my, my daughter is running around my feet as we, as we speak <laughs> and my wife and I, who, who both work full-time, are trying to figure out what to do. But, but <laughs> essentially, you know, what, what people need to do is, is provide some sort of structure for children when they're at home. Uh, that doesn't mean you need to reproduce school. That's difficult for us to do, particularly if we're working. But have some sort of schedule for your children. So when they wake up, there should be something that they do. Uh, whether it's a fun game or it's exercises or whatever it might be, and and sit with them early on in the day and discuss what the day is going to look like. So plan it out. Don't don't get stuck on a particular routine because you'll find it difficult to stick to. But have a vague plan for what you're going to do for the day. Children children appreciate that. And then I think that the second thing is for you to to talk openly to your children about this virus. It's a difficult thing for many parents to do. I've seen it. But I think if you're, if you're calm and you're honest and you're informed yourself and, and you tailor your approach based on your own child, you know your child better than anyone. We, we can put out messages at this level, but you know how to talk to your child and, and you need to now. You need to sit with them and explain to them what's happening and, and how they can protect themselves and others uh, from spreading this virus. It's critical that we do this at this time. And I can tell you the questions are coming because it's coronavirus 24-7 on, on, on the news channels. Now, what should we look out for as signs and symptoms of coronavirus in children, um, especially now um, going into the change of season where, you know, the, the, the general, um, you know, little snotties and uh, um, coughs here and there and sneezes here and there. How, what should we be looking out for? Yeah. So there's a lot of information out there which can guide you, and, and, and particularly coming from the government now, too, there's some very simple ways that you can determine whether you're feeling ill and you, you might have the virus or your child does. But the difficult thing is that there are a lot of similar symptoms in your everyday flu. So we, we're starting to see that, um, which is problematic. But I think what we need to do at this point is that if you have any concern whatsoever, you have to err on the side of caution. You have to be overly cautious and you need to try, if you can, uh, to get yourself tested. So I, I think, you know, on, on Sunday evening, we all waited for the president to, to make his announcement. And I felt 
that he showed tremendous leadership. I, I, you know, immediately after that speech, we decided to save the children to to start working remotely because we wanted to do our bit as an organization. And I think the message that he gave was, look, the government will do what we can, and they're doing it. I'm, I'm very proud of what's happening at that level. But it is up to us as individuals um, and as organizations to take these steps too. So if you feel that uh, you might be sick or your child is sick, you should report as soon as possible and try to get tested. If you're unable to do that for whatever reason, because I'm sure there might be issues with testing coming up, self-isolate yourself. Take those very strong measures, and there's a lot of guidance out there uh, for parents. But just do it. It's very difficult to do, but you have to do it. It's a critical thing. Steve, thank you for joining us this morning. Perfect. Thank you. That's Steve Miller, CEO of Save the Children in South Africa, joining us on the line. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NETLE to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. I tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Kenya, like many other African countries, has put in place stringent measures to limit movement in and out of a country. While some employers and country have recommended that employees work from home, it is proving difficult to have a total lockdown in a country where the majority of people are either casual laborers or traders who depend on a daily income. Sarah Kamani reports from Nairobi. <laughs> In downtown Nairobi, Nairobi County government, public health officials fumigate every public space. This is Kenya's latest attempt to contain the spread of the deadly coronavirus. From the streets, the team moves to public vehicles, spraying every nook and cranny. County officials say they are not taking chances. Kenya has confirmed seven positive cases of COVID-19. Anwanjiko is a senior public health officer in Nairobi County. It is to creating awareness to Nairobians, also to sensitize them on uh, how to prevent the coronavirus. But city residents go about their day-to-day business. Hawkers ply their wares and freely interact with potential clients. This, less than a week since the government announced a ban on large public gatherings, suspended learning in both private and public institutions in the country in a bid to contain the spread of coronavirus. Public transportation continues with business. Commuters get a sprinkle of hand sanitizers as they get into the vehicles. But it is clear that here social distancing has largely been ignored. This is why. 
The economy is down. Uh, how, do you th how, how do they think that we are going to survive? Actually, it's not practical for me to work from home because I'm a business person. And whatever I get, I get from when I've gone to work and I've interacted with a customer, I've convinced a customer to buy. That is the time I'm, I'm able to make a living. Kenyans want something to put on the table. Because they are the way they are. And you cannot tell them to stay away. What will they eat? Across from here in Kibera Informal Settlements, a local non-government organization, Shining Hope for Communities, Shofko, has started a campaign to educate residents on basic hygiene, especially regular hand washing. And while they appreciate the hand washing lessons and are ready to adhere, this is their daily situation, water scarcity. Ibrahim Hussein is a resident in Kibera. We don't get a lot of water in this place because uh, this is a slum you get. So water connection is very poor. While the Cabinet Secretary for Health has spoken tough against those failing to social distance and even threatened to invoke stricter measures, it is clear that any decision taken will have to be a delicate balance between keeping people healthy and offering them options to continue putting food on the table. Sarah Kemani, Kenya. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Our economics update up next with Tavis Oluhoko. Very good morning. South Africa's power utility, ESCOM Board, has acknowledged a receipt of correspondence on allegations of corruption and victimization against its chief operating officer. 
Corruption Watch, the South African Federation of uh, Trade Unions, are calling on the Eskom board to intervene and uh, act to protect uh, whistleblowers. Both organizations are referring to an Eskom employee who has since deposed an affidavit to the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture. Eskom spokesperson Sukonati Manjaja. Eskom has previously dealt with some of the matters concerning the employee in question. An investigation was closed late last year following a thorough examination of the allegations and no substance was found. However, now that we have received new allegations, including the alleged abuse of power against uh, the COO, the board of ESCOM has taken urgent steps to address these allegations in a transparent process. South Africa's Trade and Industry Minister Ibrahim Patel has announced regulations to control the pricing of items from major retailers in the country. Earlier this week, South Africans embarked on panic shopping. This after President Cyril Ramaphosa declared the coronavirus pandemic a national disaster. South Africa has 150 confirmed cases but no deaths. Patel says that there is evidence of unjustified price increases on some essential items by major retailers. Price increases may not exceed the increase in the cost of the raw materials or inputs and the profit level should not be hiked higher than in the period just before the outbreak of COVID-19. All retailers will be required to take steps to limit the quantity of goods sold to any individual consumer. The breaches of the regulations can have serious consequences. Penalties of up to a million rand, penalties of up to 10% of a company's turnover, or jail sentences of up to one year. The effects of the coronavirus have started to hit South Africans in all sorts of ways. Owners of liquor outlets have spent their first day under the government's new regulations. Liquor outlets must close at 6 o'clock this evening and open at 9 o'clock in the morning. They must also limit the number of customers to 50. Nelson Mukhozi is a bar owner who is based in Mahiging in the northwest province. We are trying to, to comply. At the same time, this virus is having a negative impact on us because we have employees and then they have to pay salaries. They are also going to be affected because in terms of the labor, we have to comply with the hourly rate. And if they're going to work six hours or seven hours a day, definitely is going to affect on their income. Not only me, including my employees. The South African company Tonga Tulet, the majority shareholder in the Shinavane and Mafambise sugar mills in the Mozambican provinces of Maputo and Sofala, respectively, have promised to invest about 29.5 million US dollars to reactivate production. The decision to make new investment came after a long period of uncertainty arising from possibly criminal mismanagement. Tonga Tulet was in such dire financial straits last year that trading in its shares was suspended on both the Johannesburg and London stock exchanges. As Uganda awaits its first oil, the Uganda National Oil Company has signed a Memorandum of Association to supply Stabex International with bulk petroleum products. Speaking at the signing of the MOU in the capital Kampala, 
Proskovia Nabanja, the UNOC chief executive officer, said the move was in line with the company's mandate to secure petroleum products in the country in order to attain a footprint in the business. Nabanja says Uganda may be a landlocked country but again are landlinked and most of the petroleum products pass through Uganda. The US dollar is trading at 365 Nigerian Nara 33, 11 Botswana Pula 34, 102 Kenyan Shilin 96, and at 16 Zambian Kwacha 47. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 5 Brazilian Roll 7, 78 Russian Ruble 44, 74 Indian Rupee 34, 7 Chinese Yuan 2, and 16 Rands 89. 84 pence, the British pound. 91 cents euro, gold 1,000 for 82 dollars, platinum 607 dollars pounds, brand crude oil 29 dollars 18 cents a barrel. From an African perspective. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. International Olympic Committee, IOC Chief Sebastian Koh says moving the 2020 Tokyo Olympics to September or October due to the coronavirus outbreak was a possibility, but it was too soon to take a decision on whether to cancel the Games. Whilst most of world sport has come to a standstill due to the pandemic, the IOC has remained committed to the staging of the Tokyo Games as planned from the 24th of July to the 9th of August, despite growing dissent. Of course, if you had to ease that date, then you would have to ease it. We have three focuses here. One is that it is absolutely essential we keep the athletes safe. How do we do that? How do we keep them in training? And we're, you know, there are 214 federations in athletics. The second challenge is to keep them in training, to keep their earning capacity as long as we possibly can. And, And thirdly, of course, is to make sure that we maintain a level playing field if it's at all possible. Cricket news. All the Proteus players who returned from India midweek have been advised to self-isolate in the wake of the coronavirus outbreak. This is according to South Africa's team doctor, Shwaib Manjra, after the national team returned to the country. Quinton de Kock and his charges had been on a three-match, ten-day trip to the Asian country when the series was postponed due to the global pandemic. Manjra says the players will be doing themselves and their families a favor by heeding Cricket South Africa's advice. We've recommended that all players either uh, self-isolate and, uh, and, and social distance themselves for a minimum of 14 days um, because I think that's proper guidance to, to protect people around them, to protect, protect the community, to protect their families uh, and to protect vulnerable people in their families in, in particular. Um, so we've, we've recommended that 14 days of, um, of um, self-isolation or social distancing and in that period, should any of them uh, have any symptoms or, or, or any other factors that, that is cause for concern, uh, we will ensure that they're investigated appropriately and managed according to uh, the protocols that are currently existent.
Finally, rugby news. Thomas coach John Dobson has lamented the traumatic injury suffered by his Springbok World Cup final stars this Super Rugby season. That will also play on the mid of uh, on the mind of new national team coach Jacques Ninaber. The Stormers were in early season front runners in Super Rugby before back-to-back losses halted their progress, and they are currently training in isolation in Cape Town with the competition on hold due to the coronavirus outbreak. The good news is that Pok captain Siakolisi is on the mend and four weeks away from fitness after he was injured in the season opening win over the Hurricanes, but there is little other reason for cheer. The latest injuries are to scrum half Heschel Yankees, fractured fibula, and prop Stephen Kitchoff, pectoral muscle, who are expected to be out for three and four months respectively. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the summer. UN urges governments to step up efforts to control the spread of coronavirus. And India's Prime Minister orders nationwide curfew. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week from myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuza Ramagadza, Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Our taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Johnny Clegg with a song titled Was a Friday. <laughs> Rom seven supogile, we baba, ne mali angeni, engatilele figile ngapela, we baba, we baba, we baba, gonse magdom shaba, we baba, rom seven supogile, we baba, ne mali it was a was a Friday, my darling. Was a Friday, um seven supogine. Was a was a Friday, my sweetie. Was a Friday, kinambalin komile wena. We baba, gonze magnum saba. We baba, nom seven supogile. We baba, ne mani angeni. Angati lele figile kapela. We baba, we baba. We baba, gonze magnum saba. We baba. Long seven to Pogine, where Baba, never money again. Send my till if we give him a pella. Where Baba, where Baba. Only was a was a Friday, my darling. Was a Friday, um seven to Pogine. Was a was a Friday.
Sweetie, what's a Friday? Get up my link on me, there when I... 